Rachel. Appreciate that. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. I know it's not quite there yet, but uh, next Sunday will be Christmas Eve. I want to encourage you guys to be here for that. Um, and uh, I know some, of, some people are traveling out of town. Some will have family in town. I just want to remind you, when you have family in town, you don't bring them to church. It's either because you're ashamed of your church or ashamed of your family, one or the other. So you, you make the choice there with it, all right? But I will not be with you next week. I will be visiting uh, my uh, extended family next, next week. So um, uh, sorry that I won't be with you. I, I really am sad that I'm going to miss that to spend Christmas Eve with you guys. Thank you all who came to the Christmas party, though, Friday night. We had about 100 or so people here, and uh, it was just, it was great. Um, I remember we had a discussion about whether to print what time the program ended, and, and when we said 7.30, they were like, people are going to hang around until like, not yes, it was at least 9, because I know it was after 10 when I got home, but thank you all that, that helped set up for today, too. Appreciate that, but it was great. A lot of good food. You guys are wonderful, and uh, if I look a little heavier today, it's because, I, I just want you to know, as a pastor, it is my responsibility to taste everything, especially if it's homemade, so I did try a little bit of everything, and it was all good. So if you missed it, you missed a blessing. So thank you guys for being here for that. And thank you for being here today and for worshiping with us. We count it, if you're a guest here today with us, we, we count it a privilege and an honor that you're here, that you've chosen to get up on this uh, rather cool Sunday morning and to join with us today. And so, uh, so it is an honor and a privilege. And if I haven't met yet, I hope I'll get a chance to after the service. So, because this is the, the, the only time I'll be with you, uh, the last time I'll be with you before Christmas, we're going to look at a Christmas message today. You know, but for something that we celebrate every year, we actually know precious little about the birth of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark never mentions it. John makes only a passing reference to it. Paul mentions it briefly in a few of his books. And it's only in Matthew and Luke that we find really much about the birth of Jesus. And so today we're going to look at that passage from the book of Matthew. So open your Bibles to the very first chapter of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll have it printed on the screens here, but it's also in our pew Bibles that we have, uh, the chair Bibles, whatever we call them there. With it there. So we're going to look at, at, uh, at this passage in Matthew chapter 1. Now preachers, when they look at this passage normally, spend time talking about Joseph and what it meant for him to be the father of Jesus. So it's, it's, it focuses a little bit on him. But we're going to do a little bit of focus, not so much on Joseph, but on what the angel said to him at this point. So we're going to look at just a few verses there, starting in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is when the, the angel announces to Joseph that Mary is pregnant. And here's what it says. The birth of Jesus came about in this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered that before, that before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. The prophet said, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. 
Let's pray. Father, in this time of year when so many people feel alone, we thank you that Christmas is the ultimate reminder, ultimate reminder that we are not alone, that through your son Jesus, you are with us in a way that no one else could be. And Father, as we look into your word today, may your spirit guide us and may we rejoice in your presence and in your perfect gift of love that we know as Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Now we are going to talk about Joseph for just a moment. Imagine Joseph learning the news like he did. His wife was pregnant and he knew he wasn't the father. Now you may say, wait, he wasn't married yet, so she was his fiancée, and that's true. But they had a thing called betrothal. You've probably heard this before, but betrothal is something we don't hear about very much today. But let me explain their betrothed state here that it's a state sort of in between engagement and marriage that we don't use a lot today. It's like engagement, but more serious. And here's how it worked. In that day, often marriages would be arranged while girls were very young, and sometimes even when they were infants. And from that time forth, they were considered to be engaged or promised to their future husband. Now, she may not have any contact with her future husband during that time. I mean, none at all, maybe. And when she was old enough to bear children, usually around age 14 or 15, uh, that they would actually become officially betrothed. That's when it would actually officially start. Now, up to this point of betrothal, and I know this sounds very sexist and patriarchal, but I will tell you this, up to this point of betrothal, women had the ability to decline the marriage. It wasn't like it was forced on them. Now, most did because marriage in back that day was... Was, was as much an economic thing as it was a love-romance kind of thing. In fact, probably more so economic than it was love-romance. But up until that point, the woman did have the ability to say no. She wasn't forced into the wedding. But once they became betrothed, it was like being officially married, yet not yet quite married. So, in other words, if after the official betrothal, if a woman wanted to call off the marriage, she would have to go through divorce proceedings. The husband would have to go through divorce proceedings because they were not, even though they were not officially married, it was considered just as binding as if they were married at that point. So that's why Joseph would have had to go through a divorce process even though they weren't officially married. So during this time of betrothal, they were considered husband and wife. If one of them died during that time, the other became the widow or widower. But there was one big difference between betrothal and marriage. They didn't live together and they definitely didn't sleep together if they were doing it according to the Jewish customs and law. So Joseph learns that his, that his wife-to-be, his betrothed wife, is pregnant. Now, the Bible doesn't say exactly how he found out. Now, I would like to think that Mary had gone and told him, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. In fact, however he found out, here's the most likely timeline. In Luke 1, Gabriel came to Mary to tell her that she would become pregnant. We know that. And he also told her that her relative, Elizabeth, some translations say her cousin. It just means close relative. So maybe a cousin might have been a great aunt or a second cousin twice removed or what? I don't know how that works, okay? But it's something like that. But that she was also pregnant with what, who would know, become to known as John the Baptist. So anyway, it says that after Gabriel told Mary that she was pregnant, the very next verses say that she went off to stay with Elizabeth. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months. So she was separated from Joseph for those three months at that point well you know what when you're three months pregnant 
it begins to show. So Joseph learns that his wife is pregnant. She's been away from three months. We don't really know how it happened. So she goes back to, from Na to Nazareth, from Elizabeth's house, which was about a four-day trip on foot, probably longer if you're pregnant, right, Jackie? Probably a little bit longer than the, that, all right? So she gets back to Joseph, and he learns that his wife is pregnant, got pregnant while she was away. Now, maybe she told him about Gabriel's visit, maybe not. I mean, think about it. Mary had to be scared. She was probably 14 or 15 years old. She was betrothed, pregnant, and tasked with the responsibility of birthing and raising the long-awaited Messiah. Is that not a burden on you? Oh, my gosh, to think that, uh, that that's, that's I, I can't imagine being Joseph and Mary. To know that you've, in fact, if you fast-forwarded to 12 years later when they lose him in the temple, how do you pray about that? Um, God, you know the Messiah? We lost him. You know what? You know, I gave you one task, all right? And then I just, just that, that responsibility. And Joseph was Mary's meal ticket. And so I know she had to be afraid to tell Joseph what would he do? How angry would he be? How would he, how would he respond? So, and by the way, Joseph may have been much older than Mary. We don't know. He may have been around the same age, but he may have been much older. We just don't know. But in any case, she would take a big risk in telling him. Hopefully she did. But it is possible that, she may, that Joseph may have found out from, from the angel in the first place. Or he may have just looked at Mary and gone like, okay, what's going on here? He may not have known anything about Gabriel and the Messiah at that point. So Joseph had a few options to think about. He could go ahead with the marriage. People would just assume the kid was his. And that he was guilty of adultery with her. Or he could expose the assumed adultery and divorce her publicly. That would have exonerated him, but it would have humiliated Mary. And he decided to take the middle course and file for divorce quietly. People would still assume that he was the father and that the divorce was over some other issue. But he did not want to shame Mary. Now remember, at all this time, Joseph may not have known at this point that the child was the Messiah. Or he may have heard from Mary and may have believed her or not believed her. Oh, that's a big stretch. What do you do if your, your, your pregnant fiancé comes to you and says, hey, but listen, I'm pregnant, but the baby's not mine. I mean, you know, or whatever, how would you say that, okay? That it was, that it was from God. I don't, did Joseph have that kind of faith at that point? We just don't know. Here's the interesting situation, though. He was probably confused by the whole story. But in verse 20, we just read, the angel comes to Joseph but only after he had taken time to ponder his predicament. And sometimes the Lord does that. You know, sometimes he doesn't give us the full heads up right away. I mean, I would have loved to think that, that at the same time that Gabriel was appealing, appealing, uh, appearing to Mary, that maybe Michael or some other angel was going to Joseph. Joseph, come here, let me tell you. She's talking with one of the big angels right now, okay? And here's what he's talking about, all right? So I'm just trying to prepare you for this. But God didn't do it that way. God let Joseph sit in it for a little bit and think about it. So I want to encourage, this is a side sermon right here, real quick, to say sometimes when things are going weird, not going the way that you want, it looks darker than you think it is, you've got a lot of trouble, and you're trying to think, God, why haven't you, why haven't you made sense of this yet? It may not be God's timing yet for that. God may want you to sit and think about it for a little bit and ponder it for a little bit. I mean, it says very clearly in this passage, let's look at it, at it again, it's verse 20, but after he had considered these things, after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. 
So sometimes the Lord lets us think about it ourselves first, to understand the depth of what we're going through before he comes and helps us through the process. God's timing is always perfect. He's never late. He's never early. And so sometimes you just have to wait on that. But that's just as I say, a side sermon there. That was a freebie, okay? All right, that was just a value-added sermon right there. So now let's look at how God revealed the big picture to Joseph and how he revealed it to us. And we're going to key on these three words, God with us. That is just a great thing. So I want to look at three things today. First, we're going to look at how God was with us before Christmas time. So we're going to look at the, at, the, at the history of this. Now, verse 23 is probably the most quoted part of this passage. Behold, the virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now, we have to remember when Matthew wrote his gospel, each of the gospel writers wrote with a different sort of view in mind. Mark wrote it, he was the first gospel out there. Even though Matthew's the first in our Bible, Mark was probably the first gospel written. And it's very quick, and it's short, and it's the shortest gospel, and it moves very quickly through the action. He was just, Mark was getting the down and dirty there for us. Luke was writing to maybe a Gentile audience. Matthew wrote with a Jewish audience in mind. That's why you find in Matthew a lot of reference to prophecy that you don't see in Luke a lot. Because Matthew was writing to people that understood the prophecy. So Matthew, we believe, was writing with, um, with a Jewish audience in mind who were familiar with the Old Testament. So he ties the name Emmanuel back to a prophecy that Isaiah gave to King Ahaz back in Isaiah 7. Now this happened somewhere around 734 BC, so almost seven and a half centuries before this. And what the situation there is Judah was under attack by Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel, and it was looking bad for them. And here's what he says in Isaiah chapter 7. It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is Isaiah talking to King Ahaz. See, the virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. By the time he learns to reject what is bad and choose what is good, he will be eating curds and honey. We'll explain that in a second. For before the boy knows how to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. Now, aside from once, once or twice, actually later on in Isaiah, this is the only time the word Emmanuel is mentioned in the Bible until you get to Matthew. So it's no wonder that Matthew, when he heard this Emmanuel, tied it back to this passage here. Now, Emmanuel is not a name you hear very often in the Bible. It just wasn't a name. That's the only time it's mentioned as a name. Now, it might have been a common name in that day. We really just don't know. Or it might have been one of those symbolic names. Isaiah was big with symbolic names. He gave some weird names to people. In fact, Isaiah named one of his kids Maharshalahashbaz. All right? I will pay you money you name your kid Maharshalahashbaz. All right? All right, that would be great. Can't you see come and go into the dinner, go into the door and go in, Maharshala Hashbaz, time for dinner, all right? It means the, the prey is swift and the, and the spoil is ready or something like that. It was a, this weird word like that. Well, Isaiah was big with, with names like that. And so Emmanuel may have been a name made up just for this purpose of saying that God is with us. That may have been all it was talking about there. In fact, let me tell you where it comes from. It, it comes from, it's a contraction of three Hebrew words. The word M is the Hebrew for with. The word nu is the Hebrew word for us. And L, as you may know, is the word for God. And so they crammed it together and got Emmanuel, what we call Emmanuel now. So literally means 
with us, God. And so Isaiah created this word there. Now, here's the thing that's weird is at that time, nobody, I don't think even Isaiah, really thought of this as, as a prophecy for the, for, the, uh, for the Messiah. It's kind of weird. In the Bible, sometimes there's things that in that day had one meaning, but God used them later for a deeper meaning. And here's what the, the prophet was saying to King Ahaz. He says, basically, you're being attacked by these two countries. But now, if a, if a woman, a virgin, it says, now, the Hebrew word, I'll tell you, is the word Alma, means young woman, probably a virgin. And so if you ever run across a translation that in Isaiah translated as young woman rather than virgin, that's okay. Now, don't think I'm a heretic yet. We'll get to, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, all right? But he's just saying, if a young woman, probably a virgin, marriage, marriage age right now, were to have, get married, have a kid, then by the time he grows up, enough to know good from evil in the hebrew mind that was age 12. it's when they have the bar mitzvah was at age 12 when they moved from childhood to adulthood so they said if this lady has a kid within 12 years by the time he's old enough to know good from evil the kings that you're fearing right now will be done away with and that's what he says talk well he'll be eating curds and honey right now there was a famine going on because they were under siege but he says by the time he's ready food will be abundant you're not going to worry and it was true by the time Within 12 years, those kingdoms were minor inconveniences. In fact, it, the, the, shortly after that, the kingdom of Israel had been completely destroyed within just a few years after that. So it was a prophecy, prophecy for King Ahaz to say, God's going to deliver you. And by the way, to show you a sign with this, imagine that kid's name being Emmanuel because God is with you to protect you and to help you and to, to get you through this, through, through this problem that you're having. So that's what happened way back then. Now, the reason I don't think that was a prophecy of the Messiah at that point, because the Messiah wasn't born at that time. That kid born in that day wasn't the Messiah. The Messiah wasn't born in 734 B.C. The Messiah was born in Jesus at probably 4 B.C., if, you, if, you, if we get the math right there, probably. So, um, but what happened is when the Hebrew was translated into Greek, what they call the Septuagint, they didn't use the word for young lady to translate it. They used the word parthenos, which is the Greek word for virgin. If you ever hear the word parthenogenesis, it means virgin birth. And so they used that word for virgin. And so later when Isaiah, when, when um, Gabriel is telling Joseph about the story and Matthew's recording it, we know that Matthew, through the Holy Spirit, was able to say, wait a minute, this is like what God said with Emmanuel. This is it. This is when the Messiah is born. God is with us. And it's really sort of an interesting thing. In fact, if you look at it, we can't even tell here that, Joseph, that, that Gabriel even said to Joseph, Emmanuel. If you look at it again, it looks like Gabriel just said to Joseph, you're going to name him Jesus. For he'll save his people from his sins. And then Matthew drops in under the Holy Spirit. Hey, this goes back to, remember, remember back in, in, in Isaiah, when he talked about Emmanuel. This is it. This is when it happens right here. This is God being with us. So now, again, before I get confused, uh, accused of heresy, I do believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Okay, so even though Isaiah wasn't thinking about virgin birth back then, Matthew certainly was that Matthew said this amazing thing. This goes back to 
what he was said. And they, they, in, the, in the translation that Matthew used, it said virgin. He thought, this is it. This is, that's, that's what he's talking about right there. Now, there are lots of reasons why Jesus had to be born. We'll do another sidebar here for a little bit. Why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. There's a lot of theories on that. Some people say he had to be born of a virgin just to, just to fulfill this prophecy. Uh, okay, God could have, it was God's prophecy. He could have made the prophecy any way he wanted to. So God had decided he was going to be a vir- born of a virgin, not because of the prophecy. He prophesied because he was going to be born of a virgin. So there's a second reason. Some people think that he had to be born of a virgin to prove that he was God's son, that he couldn't have an earthly father. And I won't get into the, to the theories of it, but, but some, re- some branches of Christianity teach that he couldn't have an earthly father because sex is the way that sin, the sin nature is transmitted between people. And since Jesus wasn't born of sex, he didn't have sin nature. Yeah, that's a possibility. I don't think that's really true. That's why the, the Catholic Church also teaches that Mary was born sinless. So that, again, that sort of is weird, but she had to be sinless, and God, and God was sinless, obviously. He's there, so Jesus was sinless. I don't know how that works, all right? I, all I know is, for me, Jesus being born of a virgin gave the proof that he had an earthly parent and a heavenly parent. And he was fully God and fully man. And only that way could he have what was needed to save people from their sins. All right, but we can't, that's, that's another sermon for another time, okay? So, all I want to say is, this is idea of that prophecy had a deeper meaning than they realized at the time. And God does that with a lot of things. There's a lot of things that God does in our lives that we don't realize the depth of it at that point. That we might think, as they thought, God is with us. God's going to be with us to, to save us from these kings that are, that, are, that are attacking us. But God was saying, no, there's a deeper meaning you're going to get later. That I am with you to save you not just from these physical problems, but I am with you to save you from your sins. But we'll get to that in a moment. I'll give you an example, though, of deeper meanings real quick. I don't know if we have this on the slides or not, okay? But I was... I can't say I was today years old, but I was pretty old when I realized that the division symbol, all right, you work with that? I did not realize the division symbol is simply a fraction with dots taking the place. I did not know that, Jackie. Nobody ever t- you tell that to your fourth graders? You look, see, you're a better teacher than I ever had, all right? So show that you just replace the dots with numbers, and you've got a fraction. There's the division symbol right there. So here's another one, though, the ampersand. Are we frozen? There we go. Keep, keep going. There we go, the ampersand right there. Right, isn't that a weird thing? What does that stand for? And. Do you know why it stands for and? It's actually, it's actually a combination of the letters E and T. In fact, look, look at this next picture here. You might see it a little bit better in that script, okay? So there's an E. Click it again for us. And a T. There you go. The E and the T are right there. It's called a ligature for the two words et, the two letters to make et, because et is Latin for and. And so that's just a simple side thing for it now that's something you use all along you never realize it had a deeper meaning now this is a simple thing to look at there but i really have to talk about i don't really care if you remember that or not but just remember that god's doing things around us all the time and god did things that just like he did in the old testament that have a deeper meaning than what we sometimes see god works so many levels beyond what we are that's why faith works for us that's why we trust god because he's got it figured out and he's got it planned in a ways that we can't imagine here. So in the Old Testament, the people really had no idea there wasn't, you know, the, the, about the Messiah. There wasn't even a universally agreed on theology of the Messiah back then. Uh, 
Isaiah records some very accurate thoughts about the, about the Messiah. You can read in Isaiah 9, Isaiah 53, he talks about the suffering servant. But all they knew at that time was that God was with us to save us from these kings. But God had a deeper meaning. So in the Old Testament, before Christmas, God was with us through his protection to fight for us. That's what it meant, God with us. God was with us through his protection just to fight for us. But there's a deeper meaning. So now let's look at what God, what it means that God was with us at Christmas time. So we go back to Matthew chapter 1. Did Matthew, did Joseph understand what the angel meant by God with us? Probably not. In fact, he probably wasn't even close. All right, he had this idea of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, but he didn't really know what that meant. They didn't have a concept of the Holy Spirit being a third person of the Trinity. They just knew it was God's presence in a special way. And then again, the angel says to name the baby Jesus. He didn't even mention Emmanuel at that point to, 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 to Joseph, probably. So what did he think there? He just thought God's going to be close to us in some ways. He probably didn't get this concept of the Messiah. Did, did Joseph at that time think, oh, this baby is going to save us from our sins. That means one day he's going to die on a cross. No, by the way, that would be a horrible thing for the angel to tell Joseph, hey, your baby's born so he can die. And so, you know, for the sins of the world right now, that would just be a freaky thing for, for the angel to tell to Joseph at that point. So Joseph just thought he's going to be with us in the same way. But here's really what happened at Christmas. God came to earth as a little baby known as Jesus, born of a virgin. Now that to me is wonderful all by itself, that the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe would not just clothe himself in human flesh to seem like a human, but actually became one of us so that he could walk among us and teach us. To me, that's just amazing in and of itself. I mean, there are all sorts of stories in mythology about gods taking on the form of a human to walk among them. Just as you hear stories of like the, the, the story, the, the fable of the prince and the pauper, the you know, kings that would walk among the people in secret and stuff like that. All kinds of things like that. But there's no other story in history of a god actually becoming a human through birth, through all that was going on. To imagine that Jesus the pre-existent Christ in heaven saying, I'm going to be born in 4 B.C. to what was then just a minor backwards little country. That, to know that you would have to have your diaper changed. You're going to go through puberty. You're going to have pimples. You're going to get bumps and bruises. You're going to face disappointment. You're going to go through everything they've gone through. You're going to face rejection you're going to face loneliness for for all eternity the son and the father and the holy spirit dwelt in perfect harmony and when jesus became human he limited his knowledge of things he set aside somehow and i have no idea how it happened set aside his knowledge of how the universe works he didn't know everything about the future. He knew more than we did because of his closer connection with the Father, but he wasn't in that constant contact, constant state with the Father that, that he was before coming. And he said, I choose to give that up to walk among you guys and to face everything that you're facing. I see this broken world. I see the world that we created that you have damaged by sin. 
And I'm still going to walk in that darkness with you. That's a miracle in and of itself. But that's not really what Christmas is really about. The miracle of Christmas isn't that God took a field trip to admire his handiwork. It isn't just about God putting on a human face so he could teach us about himself. Or teach us, as one of the Christmas songs says, truly he taught us to love one another. That's not what Christmas is about either. It's one of the things we do get out of Christmas. But that's not the purpose of it. God the Son became Emmanuel, God with us, so that he could eventually offer his life on the cross in payment for our sins. He took on the guilt of our sins. That's another amazing thing, that when he became a human, he had to separate himself a certain amount from the Father. He still had some kind of communion with the Father. He still heard from the Father. He still prayed to the Father. But he still had a separation because he was human. But when he took on our sins on the cross, he broke all connection with the Father. In fact, one of the things that I, that I hear, that, that I think about a lot at, at Easter time is when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You wonder about, why would, he knew what was going to happen. What happened there? The theologians believe that's at the time that the Father laid upon Jesus the, the, all the weight of all the sin in our life. And because of that sin, the Father had to turn away from Jesus. That sin broke that. And for the first time in all eternity, Jesus was totally cut off from the Father. And so what he, that's what he felt like at that point. It felt to him alone, truly alone for the first time in his life. He took on our sins. He took our brokenness and our imperfection. And he made us perfect and spotless so that we could have access to God the Father. But it doesn't stop there. After his sacrifice on the cross, he took the punishment of our sins and he overcame it by resurrecting from the dead. He proved that he had the authority and power to take away our sins. Did Jesus need to resurrect to save us from our sins? No. But he resurrected from, the, from it as a down payment, as proof that we would be resurrected also. That God said, not only am I with you now, I will be with you forever. And the true meaning of Christmas is this. In fact, it's the only meaning of Christmas is this, is that at Christmas, God was with us through his provision to forgive us. It was no longer just providing, protecting us. Now it was providing for us to forgive us of our sins. And it doesn't stop there. Now we need to go forward to complete the story. How God was with us after Christmas. The story of Christmas is not complete without the story of Easter and afterwards. After he returned to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, he sent us the Holy Spirit this is the same Holy Spirit the angel mentioned to Joseph. But now we have a greater understanding of who he is and what he does. He's not just God's presence in a special way. He is God himself who comes to dwell with us completely. Here's what John said in John 14, 16 and 17. He says this, Jesus says, I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not know him or see him, see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I want to listen to that again. 
the world cannot understand the Holy Spirit. They just can't, they don't see him, they don't know him. But because God was with us for forgiving us of our sins through Jesus, we now can see and know the Holy Spirit for two reasons. Because he abides with us and will be in us. God is with us now in a special way. Not just saving us from our sins, but to guide us and join us together 24-7, 365 for all eternity. And I love this word. He says, he abides with you and will be in you. This word abide is a, is a, is a great word. It means to be, to be present, to persevere, to be, kept to, to be kept continually, to last, to endure, to remain as one and not to become different. That word abide is really a, just a word. It, means to be, it actually means to be in the same place at the same time in the same state. I'll give you a good example of that. If you mix oil and water and let it stand, what happens? It separates out. But if you mix alcohol and water, they are what's called miscible solutions. If you mix them together, you cannot separate them again. I mean, you can with some chemical processes and stuff, but they will, not, they will stay, without our help, they will stay bound together. And the only way you could identify the oil and the water would be under, a, be like under an electron microscope to look at the physical connection difference of it. The molecules are so intertwined, they cannot be separated. And that's the idea of the Holy Spirit being in us. He is with us, in us, in a way that is inseparable from us. In fact, as we follow Christ, as we grow in him, as we do what we normally call discipleship, it's more and more beginning to look more like the Holy Spirit, more and more like Jesus, if you want to put a face on it, than looking like our broken selves. We are so bound up with him together that we are in the same place at the same time in the very same state. And so here's what I like to think. It's one of my favorite Christmas phrases. We talked about it last night. We'll talk about it a few, I mean, it's Friday night, but I'll mention it again. Here, I love this phrase. This is the wonder of Christmas is that the God who dwelled among us, Jesus, now dwells within us. That through Jesus, God dwelt among us. Through the Holy Spirit, he now dwells within us. And again, the people in the world do not understand that. It's not, it's not something to comprehend. It's only something we comprehend once we experience it ourselves because he abides with us and will be in us. I love that. This is a promise that Jesus made to all who believe in him. In 1 John 14, he says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides, that same word, abides in him and he in God. They're inextricably mixed together. And in John 14, or John 1, 14, he says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it says, full of grace and truth. And I love the way I mentioned again, the way that uh, the message puts this, that God became, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So God was with us in the past to fight for us. God was with us at Christmas through Jesus and Easter to forgive us. 
God is now with us through his presence as he befriends us. He is our protector. He is our provider. But he's also present among us and befriends us every day to guide us, to guide us and help us. When we say God, God with us, it's the whole package. It's not just about a baby born 2,000 years ago. It's not even just completely about the Savior who died on the cross, though that is, that is the big deal for us. But it's also about the God who walks with us. And as you go through this Christmas season, as you go visit relatives or friends, or for me, just the big thing always is just, again, the traffic. Oh, I made the mistake of driving to River Park yesterday, and, and I just, just, ah. Uh, but remind me, as we go through all, whatever you face, the disappointments, the pressure, the hurts, the stress that the holidays sometimes bring, we have this assurance that God himself is with us to give us compassion, to give us kindness, to give us patience and gentleness, to help us communicate truth, to help us be loving, to help us be caring, to help us touch other people in Jesus' name wherever we go. As you go into this Christmas season, I want you to consider a few things. First, consider the ways that you can experience Jesus being with you during the holidays. Invite him to be a part of all your Christmas preparation and all your Christmas celebration. Now, Jesus doesn't need your invitation, but by doing that, it might help you recognize his presence in all that you do. Second, I want you to thank God for the gift of Jesus as Savior and for the gift of the Holy Spirit as our help for, helper and comforter. People out of our tradition, normally known as, you know, the, 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 the evangelical brand, we don't hear that word very often, but that's sort of what we are, you know, the basic uh, conservative Christian group. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. We kind of, somehow we feel like, well, that's what the Pentecostals talk about. But no, the Holy Spirit is a part of our theology and a part of our lives also. And remember that he is here to help us and to guide us and to strengthen us and to be with us. And the last thing I want to say is, if you have not ever accepted the presence of Jesus being with you through his death on the cross, to be able to turn from the sins you're struggling with, then I want to encourage you to do that today. After our announcements and offering and stuff, we'll, we'll be around. Hunter and I will be around. We have a few other leaders around. We would love to talk with you about how Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father can be with you always, how he was for you on the cross, and how he will be with you forever to guide you, to strengthen you, to help you recognize God's presence in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this wonderful promise of Jesus. Thank you for what he did for us on the cross. Thank you, Father, for what the Holy Spirit does for us now. And Father, as we depart from this place in a few moments, 
as we go out into the world that you have created. Help us, Father, to take your Holy Spirit with us as we go. And Father, we know your Holy Spirit goes with us, but help us to be aware of it. Help us to dwell in his presence and follow his leading and his guiding. And as you are with us, God, into the world, we take you into the world also to let other people know of the saving power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit's power to help us navigate the struggles and the problems and to live the kind of life you've called us to live. In Jesus' name, amen.